Well Podcasts. Uh, my name is Rob Nixon, your host, and today I am honored to have as my guest, Jerry Patterson, former Texas State Senator and Commissioner of the Texas General Land Office, the oldest state agency in Texas. My first question to you, Mr. Patterson, is should I call you Senator, Colonel, uh, Jerry? How, how do you want to proceed with this? You have so many titles oh. in your this is really tough. Just career, <laughs> servant. That uh, but you could just you know I've been called a lot of things, but I'll, I'll take Jerry. I'm retired. Call me Jerry. All right, Jerry. All right, cool. That's all. Yeah. Right. My name's Rob. Uh, we can go back and forth on that. Um, okay. Before we go into the discussion, though, our sponsor today is ASBPA.org. Get registered. There is still a few hours left to get down here. We would love to see you. There are some awesome programming uh, in play coming up. So we would love to see you, including a roundtable that we're going to be doing uh, on this podcast on the final day, Mm -hmm. uh, where you could be on the show and uh, tell us what you've learned and why this conference is so great. So uh, thank you to our sponsor, ASBPA, ASBPA ASBPA.org, to get registered. Hope to see you here in Galveston. Wanted to thank our second sponsor, Dune Doctors uh, out of uh, Pensacola, Florida. Dune Doctors is one of the premier dune and shoreline restoration firms that I know of. They've been around for 17 years. They're here at the conference. It's great to see them. Uh, But Frederic Barasset, the owner of that company, does a fantastic job, super serious. So if you're a shoreline property owner, manage large properties, or are working with local governments and are interested in natural dune restoration with native dune plants, one of the best methodologies, I think, for shoreline response. Uh, Give our friends at Dune Doctors a call, uh, www.dunedoctors.com. All right, so, Jerry, um, you have a pretty big background in Texas. Actually, I, I was joking with uh, friends of mine the other day that I have uh, a list of five Texans that I think are the, the ultimate Texan. My first one is my grandmother, which my dad always said could spit further and shoot straighter than anybody in Texas. Uh, I've got Willie Nelson, got Joaquin Jackson, and Bruce Castile, who were both Texas Rangers. And I've got you. Uh, I think you you illustrate the 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 passion of Texas, and you've done a great job of doing that. I know you're a really uh, big uh, fan of Texas history, as I am too. And uh, actually, gone out there and done investigative uh, re- research into it. And uh, I think that's great. And that's a great start starting off this discussion. Um, you uh, you start off your career as a you you enlisted with the Marines and went off to Vietnam, correct? Yeah, I uh, I joined uh, the Marine Corps Reserve when I was at A uh, and M and then was commissioned and then spent uh, twenty four years uh, active and reserve in the Marine Corps, in, including a, a tour in Vietnam at the very end of the war. Uh, I enjoyed almost all of it, and uh, and my son. Uh, He's the fifth consecutive generation of our family with uh, wartime service, and he's also a Marine. In fact, he is one of the pilots of Marine One, the presidential helicopter. So uh, I'm proud of him. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I retired from the Marine Corps in 93, I think it was. As a lieutenant colonel, and you were an aviator, correct? I was, yes. Uh, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. And that all go for you. I mean, was it just. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I love the Marine Corps. I mean, I, I love the Marine Corps. It was uh, a great experience. Uh, I went a lot of places that otherwise wouldn't have gone. <laughs> and uh, met a lot of good folks and served with a lot of good people. So it was a very positive thing in my life. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much for your service on that, for sure. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of respect for that. So then you moved on to running for Texas Senator um, and became one in 1993. Uh, I think you're probably most famous um, for for uh, for writing and, and passing the uh, the concealed carry uh, permit law in Texas, is that correct? That, that's right. I was the author of the concealed uh, handgun license law in '93, and Governor Richards vetoed that one, and uh, I think that was a significant <laughs> contributor to her defeat uh, in '94. Then I offered it again in '95. And it passed, and of course we uh, were supposed to have shootouts at every four-way stop, return to the wild, wild west, and blood in the streets, and none of that happened. Uh, so yeah, that's probably what I'm best, uh, best known for. And that was 25, yeah, 25 years ago. Yeah, that's about the time I was graduating high school. <laughs> thanks, for point, thanks for pointing that out. I do have one question, I do have one question for you, though. Yeah. How many, how many weapons are you carrying on you at this point? At this at this very moment, uh, just one. I'm at home. I you know I just carry one when I'm around the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. All right. Um, so you're a practitioner, obviously, and that that's great. It's a it's a good law. I think it's a good thing for self defense. So you went on from uh, Texas senator to Texas land commissioner about uh, four years later. Uh, what what motivated you to try to run for the the office of the most thankless job in Texas? <laughs> now, I think the most thankless job in Texas is being on the school board. Uh, but yeah, I was I was uh, in the Senate for six years, and then uh, uh, I think you know Commissioner Morrow decided to run for governor. And I had been uh, working with the land office. I was a coastal state senator, and you know I was a veteran, and I carried uh, veteran uh, legislation uh, in the in the Senate and coastal legislation. Uh, and so I decided to run for the land office in '98, and uh, I lost the primary to David uh, Dewhurst. And then four years later, David decided to run for Light Gov, and I ran for. Land commissioner and was successful, and I served there for three, uh, four-year terms, twelve years, and I left to run for lieutenant governor unsuccessfully, and uh, so I've, I left the land office, uh, you know, four years ago. Is that a typical route for Texas politicians to go through the land office and try to be lieutenant governor? It seems like it happens. It hadn't worked out very well. <laughs> There's a long line of. Uh, a long line of folks that wanted to leave the land office. The, the path, I mean, it seems like it goes that way because, I mean, uh, we'll get into what the, the Texas uh, land office does here in a minute, but um, it seems like that's a... Well, it's been tried, and the only one successful was uh, Dewhurst. I mean, uh, 
going back to Commissioner Bascom Giles, he wanted to leave the land office and run for governor, but he, he did leave the land office and he went to prison uh, <laughs> for, for land fraud in the Veterans Land Board. So that was unsuccessful. I think Jerry Sadler uh, tried to run for higher office out of the land office back in the 40s or maybe early. Yeah, back in the 40s, I think it was. Uh, uh, Gary Morrow ran for governor out of the land office unsuccessfully. Um, and I think David Dewhurst may be the only person who ran for a, quote, higher office from the land office with success. And of course, I tried to do it and run for lieutenant governor unsuccessfully. So for those of you who are out there thinking about running for office and looking for this, <laughs> for land office as a springboard, uh, maybe you ought to look for something else. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you you, you get to the Texas Land Commissioner, and you serve for three consecutive terms. Yes. I, I believe, if um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you were only the second of the time uh, Republican Land Commissioner uh, that was elected. Yes, that's correct. In Texas history. Yeah, uh, David was the first Republican. I was the second. I think that's pretty interesting, especially when we get into... Oh, let's say that again. Yeah, David was the first land commissioner that was Republican. I was the second. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Uh, okay. So I think this will be pretty interesting when we get into our, our, our later on discussion here. Um, so with all the stuff you've done public service-wise, what would you rank right now as your the most rewarding as far as public service, your military or uh, Senate? Or, or land commissioner? Well, you know, in, in the legislature, I guess the three, you know, I passed the concealed handgun law, I passed the Texas Veterans Home Program, I passed the Coastal Management Plan, and I think those are probably the three most significant items of legislation. At the land office, uh, you know, I, I don't know what my accomplishments were, except that we, uh, you know, took that agency and made it into an agency that everybody thought was well-run, well-respected. In fact, uh, it was so well-respected that when there was a problem, what do you do? You call the land office. We were kind of the ghostbusters of Texas government. Uh, when Hurricane Ike recovery wasn't going all that well, Governor Perry, you know, uh, called me up and said, we want you to take it over. And I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, sir. And we took it over. And I think we did a pretty good job when, when the Alamo, uh, was being moved uh, when the legislature was taking the Alamo away from the daughters. Uh, they wanted to put it in a state agency. They didn't pick they didn't pick parts of wildlife or the historical commission. Uh, they called me and said, "Would you take over the management of the Alamo?" And I said, uh, "Yes, I will." And of course, the first thing we did was to uh, contract with the daughters to keep doing what they were doing and doing well. Uh, and then uh, for us to oversee that. So we were the agency in Texas that was well-respected and uh, should get the job done. And uh, that was because of the people that worked for me uh, that made even me look good. It was going to be no small accomplishment on occasion. General Land Office, uh, there was quite a cleaning house going on, but a lot of the staff that you had hired and, 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 and put in place they are still there um, in a more concise, I guess, concise. Well, I wouldn't call it cleaning house. I would call it turmoil, uh, in which, uh, you, yes. yeah, which I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the bottom line is, is that uh, uh, the, the new, the new commissioner uh, was uh, had a uh, had a stick, and that was small government save money, and so 
he fired a bunch of people that had been there when I got there who actually knew what they were doing and had the experience and knowledge and uh, and hired the folks that were young and, and experienced. And that's my opinion. And I think it's kind of borne out, particularly with the recovery effort on Hurricane Harvey, which didn't do all that well. Uh, but anyway, that's the commissioner's discretion. Uh, and uh, so uh, I wouldn't call it a house cleaning. I, I would call it... Uh, uh, well, I don't know what to call it, but a lot of good folks who did a good job uh, were out on their ear, and I don't think that served the land office very well. There are basically three or four tenets of the land office and what they do. Can you can you go into that? Yeah, I kind of described it as three major functional areas. The so number one, and the most important, and the constitutional duty is to manage uh, the permanent school fund, real property assets, and of course, real property assets include surface acreage, mineral acreage and all the money that can be made from them. Uh, you know, during the, uh, you know, the, the time since the uh, 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 constitutional amendment uh, was enacted, uh, dedicating all the revenue off the state lands to public ed, uh, then the land office was the money maker. Uh, it's an agency that makes more money than it spends. As a matter of fact, most of its budget is the money it's made, a portion thereof is is appropriated to the land office to, you know, to operate the agency. Uh, most of the income uh, came from oil and gas, uh, you know, leases, uh, E&P and production. And, uh, the, but the diversified income stream is which I, what I started when I was there. And we began to invest in real property interest. And at one time, and I think even to this day, uh, the land office uh, permanent school fund portfolio has the highest internal rate of return of any institutional fund in the state of Texas, including the Permanent University Fund, the TRS, ERS, uh, whatever it is. So uh, that was something we started when I was there. And uh, so that's a major function, making money for public ed. Uh, also, the land office uh, commissioner chairs the Veterans Land Board, uh, which is kind of like the Texas VA, but we don't provide uh, health care per se. Uh, but the Veterans Land Board provides low-interest loans to Texas veterans to buy homes and to buy land. And as a result of legislation I passed when I was in the Senate, uh, the land office now has a Veterans Home program. When I say Veterans Home, it's not homes. It's long-term care, Veterans uh, Long-Term Care Facilities. And I think there's about eight of them across the state, uh, and they're high-quality long-term care for you know, for the senior veterans that, uh, you know, really aren't able to live, live at home anymore. And then the third functional area is the Texas coast and trying to referee, if you will, that intersection between public access and uh, private ownership of property, uh, as well as uh, additional duties that were added uh, during Hurricane Ike of uh, disaster response, uh, uh, disaster cleanup, uh, and then the legislature, uh, when I was commissioner, uh, gave us the responsibility for managing Alamo. So it's a pretty diverse organization, and it's not one that really has anything to do much with what you find in the Democrat uh, Party or the Republican Party platform. Uh, it's really ministerial in a way, and there's you know very little partisan philosophical controversy about the duties of the land office, uh, which, frankly, that's kind of, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, you can be a conservative, you can be a liberal, but if you're at the land office, you're kind of neither. Uh, you have a definitive job to do, 
make money, uh, take care of veterans, and manage the, the Texas coast. That is a perfect segue right there. Thank you very much, Jerry, because uh, we are about to go into your term, our terms, as uh, Texas Land Commissioner. And I think uh, historically you probably had the most tumultuous 12 years <laughs> of the land office as far as the Texas coast goes. Well, yeah, that and a couple other things, too. <laughs> Can you say Christmas mountains? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really uh, interesting, yeah. Go, go, ahead, go, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, we had a lot of controversy. And, of course, probably the one that was made national news was the Christmas mountains kerfuffle. Uh, but, you know, that's that's a long story. And it ended up, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when uh, we were when we decided to sell parkland, that, that was the spin on it, and of course it wasn't parkland, and uh, but that was that was a different deal. But we ended up uh, transferring that to the Texas State University system uh, instead of the National Park Service. We really didn't want it. Uh, and then, of course, the other controversies had to do with the Texas coast uh, erosion, uh, which encroaches on. Uh, private property and public property for that matter, and public easements for that matter. And we had some litigation, uh, you know, where I was uh, sued in the land office, the state of Texas was sued by the lady from California, Mrs. Severance, uh, Carol Severance. Uh, Mr. Carol Severance. Yeah. We're going to get into that yeah. in detail here in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then we had other things, you know, the, the basic. Uh, the basic uh, trying to set the mean higher high water mark and the line of continuous vegetation and ensuring public access. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of controversy. Um, okay, so this uh, time is probably when I had my awakening on the, the Texas shoreline. Um, so in, in 2006, after Hurricane... Uh, uh, which hurricane was it? Um, well, Ike was in 2008. Well, we had Hurricane Ike in, 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 in 2008, yes. but We had Rita. We had Rita. Was it Rita? Hurricane Rita. Uh, yeah, Hurricane Rita. Sorry. Yeah. Hurricane Rita hits the Texas coast. Um, all of a sudden, we find uh, multiple properties. Um, behind the line of vegetation or in front of the line of vegetation and you send out an infamous letter uh or the texas general line office does in your direct direction that that those properties are now condemned and they must be removed um and this this goes back to the one of the the cores of the texas beach act which is the public beach easement and its ability to move back and forth and um, yeah i think actually after hurricane rita we didn't make a determination of where the mean higher high water mark was for i believe two years and we did that to allow the beach to recover somewhat as it will uh, and and then so and then we sent out a letter saying basically you are uh, you may be uh, on the public beach easement, or in some cases, you may be on state-owned submerged lands. And of course, 
you know, the definition of state-owned submerged lands is if you go out in the Gulf of Mexico to nine nautical miles, which is 10.35 statute miles, and you start moving shoreward, you're on state-owned submerged land up to the mean high or higher water mark, which to be simple, I guess, is an average of high tides over a certain period of time. In fact, it's actually 18.3 years, which has something to do with the moon. Don't ask me what. Yeah, okay, an epoch. Okay, I didn't know that. Uh, so uh, so that's state-owned submerged land, and you cannot uh, have your structure on state-owned submerged land. Now, according to Texas law at that time, uh, and still uh, to this day, from the mean higher high water mark going landward up to the line of continuous natural vegetation, LOV it's called, uh, that can be privately owned, but it is subject to a public beach access easement. So if your structure is now on that public beach access easement, it must allow for public access, which means people can put their blanket down under your you know, under your home on pylons, you know, in a way of describing it, or you have to move it. I mean, it just depends. So we, we allowed two years to get the beach to recover, so we wouldn't be kicking people off that actually, you know, might regain their property. Uh, and then we made a determination of where the LOV was and where the meat higher, higher watermark was. We came up with money uh, to give folks to help them move their property. So we tried, and I thought we did a, I think we did a really good job. They're trying to balance those interests without being a hard ass about it. But at the end of the day, when you build on the beach, it's caveat emptor or whatever, whatever the, uh, I guess the Latin for buyer beware, it should be builder beware. I don't know how to say builder in Latin. Uh, and you, you have certain risks. And, you know, if you go back to the original survey in the original land grant, either from the Kingdom of Spain, Republic of Mexico, Republic of Texas, or State of Texas, that original grant on the Gulf Coast had three definitive sides on that tract of land, and then the, the side that was, you know, aligned with the Gulf of Mexico, it's described as the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. It didn't say the waters of the Gulf of Mexico as they exist on this date, it said the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. Mexico. So unlike surveys in Upland, Texas, elsewhere in Texas, where you have four sides that are definitive by meets and bounds and survey points, on the Gulf Coast, your seaward boundary moves. Sometimes it moves through accretion, i.e. the beach grows and you gain title to that property. Sometimes it moves because of erosion, and the beach moves into your property with a transgressing sea, if you will, and you lose time. Problem is, there's been a hell of a lot more erosion than there has been accretion. Uh, and, uh, and people are losing their property. And they say, you can't take my property. And I say, well, I didn't, but their nature. You, you signed a deed, and it's based on an original land grant that defined the coastal boundary as the waters of the Gulf of Mexico. I can't do anything about that. Uh, and that's the law, but you can administer the law in a manner that gives people an opportunity to move or even come up with public money. I think we were paying up to $40,000, and some people took it and actually moved their house on a different lot. So you can be, you know, as amenable and as understandable and understanding as you can, but at the end of the day, uh, a building house on the front row on the beach is not a good idea.
I, I, I as personally, I'm a very, very big coastal advocate, Pope Beach advocate. Um, I'm all for building setbacks and stuff like that. I think he, that you yourself and, and your administration under the general lineup is handled very well. Um, can we go into a little bit more? So about the, the compensation, which is always seems to come up uh, with the Fifth Amendment. Am I correct on that for illegal takings? Um, the y'all, the, the general land office did actually offer fifty thousand dollars per house to move or relocate or demolish their houses. That's, That's correct. I think um, it did get up to fifty. Yeah, I, I said forty. I think you're right. But apparently, Carol Severance decided not to take this money, and she filed suit against the state of Texas for illegal takings. Is that correct? That, that is, is that is correct. correct. I think takings was her premise. Uh, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, this is where it gets. I guess everything kind of blows up. Um, it it this is around uh, two thousand. Well, around well, it got really heated around two thousand eight with uh, Hurricane Ike, but. It was already brewing. At, at, uh, the Supreme Court was already uh, hearing this this case around 2007, 2006. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it went through the uh, it went through the uh, the federal district court, and then they kicked it over to the Fifth Circuit, and then it, the Fifth Circuit kicked it to the Texas Supreme Court, and yeah, it was in their hands at this point. And, and the Supreme Court, yeah, the Supreme Court ruled against us, and we submitted a motion to rehear. Which, which is very unusual. It was granted, uh, and uh, we had a rehearing, and Severance won. And I can't remember the vote. I do know that uh, one of the one of the Supreme Court justices recused himself because his wife was employed at the land office. If I'd known that was going to happen, I would have fired her. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, but I'm a, a little tongue-in-cheek here. She, she was a really good employee. <laughs> But, but so, so we, we had a motion to rehear. The motion was granted. We had a rehearing, and we lost it uh, by one vote. I think it was one vote. I don't really remember. I think it was five to three, maybe. Maybe it was two votes. I can't recall. And uh, it was it was uh, the opinion was written by a justice who had an intention of running for attorney general, and that's what it was about. And the opinion was fatally flawed. As a matter of fact, it was actually flawed. To the, to the detriment, in, in one circumstance, of the property owner. Because what the ruling said was that it recognized the gradual erosion as moving the main higher high water mark and therefore the line of contingent vegetation. It recognized that as a valid point. But what it said was, uh, what was the term? Avulsion. Uh, avulsion, but it wasn't avulsion. It, what was it? Uh, catastrophic avulsion, I think. You know, overnight avulsion. Storm-related avulsion. What it said was that did not move the Mehai high watermark, and therefore did move the line of vegetation. So it ruled, it upheld the boundary changes as a result of gradual erosion or accretion. Uh, but when avulsion, which is a catastrophic event, it said that doesn't change it. Well, here's the problem for property owners who may, as some property owners do have actually gained property after a storm. I mean, there are places, for example, East Beach on Galveston Island is an accreting beach, primarily because of the South Jetty. 
So what this ruling said was, for those of you that lose property because of abortion, you know, overnight storm uh, related, uh, you don't really lose it. But if you gain property, um, uh, so it applies that way as well. So the gain of property as a result of abortion was also negated for a property owner. So I don't think they, first of all, I don't think any of them understood any of it, uh, which is not unusual, uh, you know, frankly, in uh, it's because it's hard to understand. It, it, it's simple, but it's difficult. Uh, but we lost that in the end. But that that decision only applies to Galveston currently. Uh, of course, when it's it's presidential, so if someone else litigates under the same premise elsewhere on the Texas coast, it could be a problem again. Right. Okay. We're we're going to that in just a minute. But the 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 one thing I, so between two thousand six when this suit is filed uh, against yourself as the commissioner of the general land office and uh, uh, the final decision in two thousand twelve uh, by the uh, the Texas Supreme Court I mean we had some events that, that actually were like it, it just it was almost weird it was, it was kind of ticking. I guess taking advantage of the chaos that's going on, on the coast. I mean, we had an inland, I, I believe he was from Laredo, uh, legislator. He authored and proposed an amendment to the Texas Constitution to have the Texas Obliged Act enshrined in the Texas Constitution or the Bill of Rights. Yeah, yeah Rip, uh, Representative uh, Richard Raymond. Yes. And uh, we're all like, oh, my God, he did that. That's great. And then, like, um, I think it was exactly a month later, we got the news from the Texas Supreme Court, like, oh, no, this didn't happen. Um, it's still there, but it's just, it's a different, it's a different law now. And I, I, I do believe, and I completely concur with you, that this really only affects, right now anyway, uh, Galveston Island. Um, we have yet to have a, an event I mean, you, you, during your your three terms, we hit, we saw multiple storms, and we have not really had a major storm since then. So I think once we have a major storm, that's going to be we're going to find out where the next challenge is going to come. Well, well, we've we've had a yeah we've had a major storm. You know, obviously Harvey, but Harvey was a different kind of hurricane. It it, it was uh, uh, was not the catastrophic damage was was flooding. It wasn't it wasn't wind and uh, and tidal surge as much as it was in the prior storms. But you're right. At some point, we'll have another one, and this will be back on the plate. Um, and uh, I really want to get your opinion because the whole premise uh, of the illegal takings was, from what I understand, is is that Carol Service didn't didn't understand what she was buying when she bought it, which I think is a bunch of bullshit. Sorry, I didn't say that on my podcast, but. Well, I, have, I don't have a doubt she didn't understand. But just because you don't understand doesn't give you a buy. A, a, a real estate disclosure statement that says that your your, your property is subject to the Open Meetings Act and lays out exactly, you know, what's, what's going to happen if it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that property addendum or that closure addendum or title, that, that's been in the law for some time. But, but I don't I don't doubt that she didn't understand it. Uh, you know, uh, she's from California. Uh, they don't have uh, the same law of public beaches. Public beaches are uh, they have select public beaches. It's not a premise that applies to the entire California coast. 
but it doesn't make any difference whether you understand it or not. That's the law. I mean, you have an opportunity to get to understand it prior to closing. If you choose not to do that, then it's, it's unfortunate for you. Um, so she may very well not have not understood it, and she may very well uh, not understand it at all, but still to this day. Uh, but that was a bad, that was probably the worst day of my tenure at the land office is when we lost that. Uh, well, maybe not because, well, not, not, not your worst day, but I'm, I'm saying, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your reaction. 2012, uh, was it, no, two, sorry, 2010, after the initial, um, decision by the Supreme Court that, uh, you decided to pull a, I mean, literally on the beach, ready to go renourishment project for Galveston and what your reasoning behind it was. Um, I, I know that the Texas Constitution doesn't allow uh, public funds for, for improving private property. and That was your thinking at the time? Well, that, well, that, that was part of it. Yeah, but, that, you know, you can get around that if you uh, have each of the property owners sign an easement uh, that allows for the rolling easement. And if they would do that, if they, each of those property owners had done that, we would have renourished the beach. Uh, but we could not get that done. I mean, I don't think you could get, you know, I don't care, you know, whether it's deed restrictions in a subdivision or whether it's coastal frontage property owners, you're not going to get everyone to agree to it. It's just impossible. You do good to even contact about and get a response from maybe two thirds of them. So we had a beach renourishment project uh, scheduled and we pulled it, uh, you know, because that we couldn't get them to allow us to uh, allow for the rolling easement and to allow the land office to continue to renourish the beach. Because once you renourish the beach, it's not going to stay there. You have to, you know, renourish the renourishment. And that requires access to, uh, in this case, would require access to private property. So we, so we pulled that, and you know, you know folks thought it was uh, just being a prick. Uh, you know, maybe that was a net result, but uh, we we had to have a public benefit. So you can't use public money to improve private property, but in the case of having a public benefit, i.e., preserving uh, a publicly accessible beach, then you can get around that. Uh, in my opinion, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, so yeah that, 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 I forgot about that. That, that made some people very unhappy. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty big move by yourself. Um, you had some people definitely rooting for you. Definitely had some people, uh, rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was one of the ones rooting for you at that point. I, I thought, you know, the, the Supreme Court personally, and this is, you know, the, this is my opinion. I, I, I thought they, they really screwed up the entire decision. I mean, to apply repairing law to, to yeah, 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 to an ocean ocean facing beach where the other side of the river is in Florida that that just doesn't make any sense. But, um, um, so in the meantime, while you're dealing with all this stuff going on, um, with Hurricane Ike, you got Hurricane Rita, you got you've got the Severance versus Patterson case, uh, the chaos. You know, kind of ensues during a uh, after Hurricane Ike with uh, a, a Texas representative that decided that he was going <laughs> to save his property by using public funds to repair. Is that correct, Wayne Christian? No, no. Oh, a pretty public fight. <laughs> what, what Wayne did 
He amended an otherwise really good bill to exempt his property from uh, the uh, Open Beaches Act. Uh, and uh, maybe it was from, he, did, he, he exempted his property from, from uh, the requirement that the rolling easement applied. And he did it by bracketing, the bill was good, and he said, you know, basically on a, on a, in a county, on a peninsula, in a county of more than this amount and less than this amount, on that peninsula, the rolling easement doesn't apply. And so he got that amendment on the bill. And then, uh, which basically Bolivar Peninsula, where his beach house was located, it only applied to Bolivar Peninsula. So he cut, he exempted himself and his beach property and everybody else's beach property on Bolivar from the uh, rolling easement requirements of the law. And so I went to the governor and I said, we got to veto this bill. It's a good bill. I know you don't want to do that. And the governor, Governor Perry, was considering doing it. He said, oh, man, this is a really good bill. I mean, golly. I said, let me do some research. And then I went back and we really scoured his Christian's amendment. And it was so poorly written that it would not apply. Uh, so I said, I went back to the governor and said, got good news, you can sign the bill because Christian's amendment was was poorly written. And, and of course, what was the, uh, the other thing that Christian was confused is that the term uh, above the mean high, high watermark, uh, I, I don't know, he interpreted that, you know, if we, if we said you had to be 60 feet above the mean high or high watermark, Christian wrote an amendment based upon 60 feet being vertical. <laughs> he did not understand. No, he didn't understand. He actually thought that that was 60 feet, and he wrote this 60 feet above sea level. So, so, uh, and, and, so and then ultimately, Christian, uh, and since I waited for two years, to make a determination and allowed the beach to recover, and it did, Christian didn't lose any property. I mean, he lost some, but he was able to rebuild because he had enough room. Uh, it was funny. Uh, it was it was really, uh, Representative Christian was, uh, so he was kind of out there, particularly when he was describing the above sea level. He just quotes during that whole battle. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think a lot of people forget that, but it was, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was entertaining and almost revolting at the same time, but it was, it was, it was a good, good coastal battle to watch. Yeah. yeah. You, you prevailed in that one, obviously. Um, so in addition, I mean, all this is going on. So <clears throat> during, during the process of, of severance and, and I, I believe it's post severance, the lawsuit. Um, we've talked about this a couple of times. You've mentioned this. Um, you you push to uh, increase the powers of the land commissioner by uh, allowing the land commissioner to temporarily uh, uh, suspend the Open Beaches Act for two years to let the beach recover, which you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, I forgot. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I know that was a push, push and pull, but what was your, what was your, your thinking behind that? Because I think that's a, that's a really good idea, um, and I think it's a really great uh, policy involved. It, it allows the beach to recover, but yeah, but yeah. Was, it's, a, it's a function, you know. What, was it to to to, to quell all the severance thing, or was it just no? To, no, it really had nothing to do with severance. It was basically we know, we know that after a storm, you have your highest point of erosion. And, and we know that if you measure, do a coastal uh, survey, coastal boundary survey, determine the mean higher, higher water mark. And you do that by LIDAR, it's pretty technical. Uh, and we also know that the vegetation is gone, and it's going to take a while to come back. So uh, we said it, it's not fair to say your property is condemned, you're, you're seaward of the line of vegetation, or your own state-owned submerged lands. When you know that the beach is going to grow back and recover, you just don't know how much. So uh, that's that's why we, uh, I forgot how, you, you reminded me, I forgot how we did that. Uh, I don't know if I had to get legislative authorization for that, or if I just did, I don't, I don't recall. Uh, uh, yeah, I went through the legislature, but yeah, it was a really great idea on your part, um, and the entire GLO staff. I mean, they handled it very well. Um, and and then the, the other the other action you took, I, I believe, under your administration, was the post Ike erosion response plans that had that were were required by municipalities, counties, uh, cities uh, that to to basically take stock, uh, come up with a plan and reduce the amount of public expenditure on on uh, on post-storm recovery. Um, can you go into that a little bit? <laughs> you know, they say the memory is the second thing to go. And uh, I'm having trouble with... Well, the good news is you can't remember the first. But anyway, uh, I'm having a little trouble with... I, I do know we were requiring some... Uh, the local uh, municipalities, government entities, counties to to uh, essentially be ready for the next one uh, as it relates to their uh, determination and their permitting and their. But I can't recall how that came about or how we did it or even what we called it. But I do know that in that recovery period is when you have an opportunity when everybody's looking at what Mother Nature just did. They're more, they're more amenable to saying, well, you know, this is a really uh, uh, eye-opening event. Let's try to plan ahead. So uh, that's when all the, you know, the uh, momentum can be generated and the interest can be generated. So I, for, I forgot exactly what it was we did. I'm at home. Yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, we're very reactionary and not proactive society, usually. Um, and And... I mean, just to jog your memory a little bit, uh, it, one of the major tenets of that ERP was to to promote uh, better building setback lines. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's I think that's a, a great thing. Um, unfortunately, it's taken where I live, Cameron County, uh, as of a week ago, it took them ten years. They finally have a draft that's going into the, the GLO for for. You know, you know, and, and I have to say, uh, Cameron County was uh, was good to work with. I mean, I didn't know they were still working on it, <laughs> but they were good to work with. And uh, you know, and, and their setback. Uh, you go to Galveston, look at the beach in Galveston. You know, and, and you go down to Cameron County, and you're going to see that they're more forward thinking in Cameron County than they are, or they were at that time. Of course, 
it's, not, it's a not a fair comparison. I mean, in, in, in the South Padre and in Cameron County, you actually, you actually have things called dunes, and they can, and they can be very large. And, 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 and we work with them. We allow them to do some permitting, move dunes around. And so, But I had a good relationship with Cameron County and with the South Padre Island, the, the, the city down there. Uh, awesome. Uh, yeah, that, the, they're going to get done now, hopefully. And it looks like it's all looking pretty positive for for coastal uh, preservation and public beach access and, yeah. and, yeah. and that stuff. And it's, it's going good. Um, all right, so let's move on to the, I want to move on to the final phase. Uh, we're, we're running a little long. And I'm sorry for taking this long. But uh, there's, a, there's a few questions I want to ask you for, uh, you know, in your personal opinion, and I know you're not currently land commissioner, but uh, what do you think the effect of the severance case is going to be on the Texas coast in the future? Well, well, I'm pretty sure that the current commissioner will not defend the Open Beaches Act, uh, and because I had discussions with him with him when I was. Still, you know, after I lost the primary, he won the primary. It's obvious he's the next land commissioner, and I'm the past land commissioner. And I, I sat down with him multiple times with a pen and paper and drew, you know, how the mean higher high water mark, how it's located, how it relates to the original land grant, the line of continuous vegetation, and the rolling easement. And uh, uh, I got a really good smile. Uh, I mean, you know, but. Uh, and since, and since that time, I mean, he, yeah, yeah uh, from from uh, Commissioner Bush, and since, and since that, that time, he's basically stated uh, 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 he, doesn't he doesn't state it this way, but that, but that he is not a proponent of any uh, deference to the rolling easement or to the Open Beaches Act. Now, he won't say that, but that's the net result of this position. Uh, so I was unsuccessful in, in explaining that to him. Uh, maybe, it's maybe it's because the beaches in Florida are different than in Texas. And, uh, but, you know, I grew up in Houston going to Galveston as a child when I was in diapers and up to the time when I was a teenager, you know, going down there in my 57 Ford to put a campfire on the beach and drink beer with my friends and girlfriends. And the open beaches, I didn't really understand what it meant, but that was, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was the gospel in Texas. And if you grew up here and you spent time going to the coast, you learned that, even if you didn't understand it. Uh, and that's the way it's been, and now I'm not so sure that's sustainable uh, under the law. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe we'll have another case. Maybe we'll go back to the Supremes and maybe they'll decide differently the next time. Is there a reason why after the Texas Supreme Court did their decision that the Texas GLO did not appeal to the United States Supreme Court? Well, the, well, the, the, you know, the reason why, but we, we, we didn't have the ability to appeal to the Supreme Court of the U.S. because... Uh, I can't, you know, the, the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans remanded, or I don't know if it remanded to right turn, but when it got to them, uh, they sent it to the Texas Supreme Court to rule. Uh, and the Texas Supreme Court ruled. So to expect the Fifth Circuit to, after having said to the Supreme Court of Texas, okay, it's your deal, it's your tar baby, you come up with something. 
and uh, and the Supreme Texas Supreme Court did, uh, and to expect the Fifth Circuit to say, oh no no no, we don't like that, uh, uh, and then for it to go from the Fifth Circuit to the Supreme Court just was just not possible. There was there was no in other words, bottom line, uh, cliff notes. It wasn't an opportunity that we had. Okay. Um, I have one final question for you. Uh, well, actually, I have two final questions for you. One, one's going to be one that uh, may put you in the spot here. But um, do you think uh, you, you mentioned earlier that the 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 land commissioner shouldn't be political in any way? They, they shouldn't be seen as Republican or Democrat. And they should no, I, no, I, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't say it shouldn't be. Yeah, I, yeah I, I didn't say that the commissioner shouldn't be partisan. I just said the office issues are really not partisan issues. Uh, I mean, the, yeah, the commissioner can be very partisan on stuff that's maybe not related to the land office. It, it probably should be, uh, but there's really not. There's not a. There's not a. If you look at the platform of the Democrat and Republican Party, you'll find nothing in there about the general land office, except for the Alamo, and that's in the RP, the Republican platform. So it's just really not something that people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you're very, very passionate about the Alamo as I am too, and uh, there's, yeah, I know you're very engaged in that that debate um, that's going on right now, um, but my question is. is that being said, do you think that your stance on what happened during your term as, as land commissioner with both private property rights and, and the public trust and and how you defended the Open Beaches Act, did that did that negatively affect you as far as like when you went uh, to the uh, bid and your fourth term was like I don't think it negatively affected me with uh, with the voters a bit. As a matter of fact, it probably was a positive with voters. I think it negatively affected uh, you know me with some donors and with some groups such as the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which is funded by a lot, by a lot of you know high dollar uh, Republicans. So I think it hurt my ability to raise money, but I don't think it hurt me at all. In fact, I think it probably helped as far as uh, the voters concerned. Awesome, cool. And my last question to you before we wrap this up, Jerry, is: uh, Are you officially retired from public office? Or are you going to? Oh, gonna, oh uh, yes, yeah. No, 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 no surprises. I, when I ran against Commissioner Bush in the in the recent primary, I didn't want to do that. I had tried to recruit an opponent up until about uh, this time last year and couldn't do it, so I decided to run. And, uh, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad, I'm glad I did, even though I, you know, didn't get him in a runoff like I had hoped. Uh, because, uh, because frankly, I think there's some things that are better. I, I know for a fact that the Hurricane Harvey response got better three days after I filed because I made an issue about the decision of the land office not to do the emergency housing repair. Three days later, after I filed, made an issue of it being implemented that program. So there's a lot of people that got their houses repaired on the temporary repairs so they could then move back in and start making the insurance claims that otherwise wouldn't have. 
uh, and also thinks uh, that some of the stuff at the Alamo uh, is, is, is gotten better uh, because of the campaign. So I don't have any regrets, but I can tell you, I'm 72 years old. I have a bucket list, and I don't have the time to, nor the inclination uh, to be on the ballot again. Thank you very much. Uh, we have, for this episode, we have Lieutenant Colonel Retired. Uh, Senator and Land Commissioner Jerry Patterson and I really appreciate it Jerry for all your time and for putting up with all this stuff uh, and uh, thank you for all your time and your comments it, this has been a great uh, as far as I'm concerned it's been a great interview but uh, thank you so much for your time hey, yeah, I appreciate it Rob uh, call her up anytime thank you Th thank you very much Jerry have a good day